Okay. This is the word of God. Found in Mark 10, verses 23 through 31. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of God. So, uh, good morning again. How's it going? What's going on with y'all? My name is TJ Turner, as Howard said. I'm an intern at Christ Central. I thought about getting a t-shirt that says intern, because last time I was up here, I kept trying to promote myself to elder. Um... But I didn't go through with it. But uh, yeah, this is my first opportunity um, to bring the word to you. So um, I thank you for listening. Hopefully you will. Um, and yeah, I'm a little nervous, so yeah, if y'all will bear with me. I don't know what happened. Um, I thought I was going to have cue cards in the front, but that didn't come through, so I've got notes. So uh, if these all fall off, I might need a minute, but uh, we should be all right. Anyway, today we're uh, continuing the sermon series on the kingdom of God and the mission of the church that we started a few weeks ago. It's been an amazing series already as we've seen and learned about some of the really essential aspects of the kingdom of God and about what it is. And that's certainly true today as well, as we come to see and come to learn about the kingdom of God as a community. It'd be hard to overestimate how central and how important this is. Because the reality we'll see is that this community that God's kingdom is is the only place that we can really come to make sense of the world. It's the only place where we can come and where our experiences can fit in with the things that we read in the Bible and make sense of it all. As you uh, may have noticed already in your life, it's our experiences that usually are the problem. We've learned so far about worship in the kingdom, evangelism, and about God's word. The problem so often for us is to reconcile those things with the experiences in our life. But as we look at this passage today and as we come to see God's community and what it is, we'll start to see that these things really can make sense. Let's pray. God, you are the father of all your children that you've graciously drawn to yourself. And as we come together as part of your community, 
as part of a new family, we pray that you give us eyes to see your truth, that you would open our hearts to understand, and that you would be so gracious as even to speak through me this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I remember when I was in college, I was involved in the campus ministry, and uh, every week we would meet, we'd have a time, kind of in a large group like this, we'd have a time of fellowship, we'd have music, sometimes we'd have some skits, there would be somebody who would get up and talk. And almost every week, a different student would get up and share their testimony. They'd talk about the things that God had done in their life. A lot of times they would talk about what they were like before they came to know Christ, um, what their life had been like in the past, and the things that God had done, how he had worked to bring them to where they are, to bring them, a lot of times, to a place of, of brokenness and of emptiness so that he could lead them into repentance and lead them to Christ. Sometimes these would be really dramatic stories. We'd see people's lives radically changed. Sometimes they'd be pretty simple, and it would just be that someone came to a simple realization that the gospel they'd heard for years was really true. No matter how the story started, it almost always seemed to end the same way with this phrase, and ever since then, everything's been great. (laughs) That sound right to y'all? Y'all don't agree with that? You mean, life might have been difficult before you believed in Christ, but since, everything's been fine, right? Life's been problem-free. Everything has been great. No. No, for many of us, things have been far from great since we began to follow Christ. For a lot of us, there's been real sacrifice, real pain, and real suffering the reality of our experience has been far different. And in fact, at times the reality of what we experience for Christ is so hard and so painful that it drives us not to say everything has been great, but to ask a question, what's the point? Can this really be worth it? Is there really anything in this for me? All I see is sacrifice and pain. All I feel is disappointment, fear. And if the simple reality of our experience wasn't enough, compound that with the fact that a lot of times these pains, these sacrifices we make, come as a result of following Christ. We actually suffer more at times because of the gospel. Things are actually harder because we follow the truth. I can remember, for example, sitting in my uh, tiny excuse of an office at uh, Jim Ellis Mazda Kia in Atlanta, Georgia, um, where I was a car salesman. Yep, you can go ahead and hate me for a second and then just let it go. Um, And I remember sitting there leaving yet another voicemail for yet another customer who would never call me back and feeling like somewhere along the way something went wrong. This isn't what I came here before. When I came to Atlanta... After college, I I came with all this hope of believing that God was calling me to something. We came, um, we got married, Kirsten and I. We moved to an area to become uh, part of a church plant in North Atlanta where I was going to get all this great ministry experience and be involved. 
And even after a, a period of time, I began taking classes at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. And everything seemed like it was on track. It seemed like God was leading me in the direction that I expected to. But then about six months later, I find myself selling cars and uh, miserable at that. And I remember at that point wondering what the point was. How did I get here? Was there anything in this for me in the first place when I thought I was following God? In this passage today, Jesus is answering that very question. And he's telling us that it really is worth it. The problem is, in some of our most difficult, our darkest moments, the answer that he gives us almost seems patronizing. It seems kind of empty. I mean, and that's how it is when you're in the middle of experiencing the cost of following Christ. In the moment that you begin to see the cost, it can hardly feel worth it. I think you know what I'm talking about. Maybe there was that moment when you realized that your colleagues had lost respect for you. Maybe it was when you saw the disappointment in the face of someone you looked up to. Or maybe it was when you saw the sadness in the eyes of your own family, the people who love you the most because you had decided to follow Christ somewhere they didn't like you, like it, like you going. Maybe it was just when you got that bank statement and saw there was no money in your account and wondered where God's provision had gone. Some of you, in fact, have been pushed to the very limits of your faith for following Christ. And it's in moments like these, Christ comes to us and says that for you, there is a 100-fold return to be had. And we have to ask, where is it? When's it coming? How are we supposed to find it? And it can feel like an empty promise. We hear this promise, but we don't see it, and we don't experience it. But there's a reason, I think, why we miss it, why we don't seem to experience it. The reason, I think, is because we tend to look in the wrong places, because we're looking for the wrong thing, because we're looking for a worldly reward from a holy God. And I think all the while we're missing the provision, the reward that he has for us. See, there is a very real reward for your faith. And it's actually right under your nose. You just might not have realized it. As we come to see this reward, we're going to see that, yes, there is a real cost, but that the reward Christ promises far outweighs any cost, and that the ultimate reward that he gives to us outweighs anything we can even imagine. But first, let us consider the reality of the cost. Right before the the passage we read today is the well-known story of the rich young ruler. You've probably heard it before. Um, You may not be very familiar with it. But basically what happens is this guy comes walking up to Jesus and says, what can I do to be saved? And what we learn from the Bible about this guy is not a lot. We learn that he's rich. We learn that he's young. And we learn that he's a ruler. He has authority. Um, And you have to understand that according to the Jewish understanding of things in Christ's day, this guy had it together. Riches were a blessing from God. 
they showed that God's favor was on you, that his presence was with you. This guy was young, he had authority, he had wealth, the appearance of God's blessing, and even obedience to the law. I mean, even Jesus liked the guy. Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, I love this guy, he's awesome. Certainly the disciples think they've hit the jackpot. I mean, here's a guy that has the wealth, who has the resources, who has the influence for them to be heard, for this message of Jesus to really start having an impact. So they're probably excited. And then what happens? In Sixth Sense style, there's a big old plot twist that the disciples just don't see coming. And Jesus asked this guy, with all of his success, his riches, his influence, to throw it all away to follow him. Instead of welcoming him into the fold, he tells him to sell everything he has. And just think about this for a second. Again, what do we know about this guy? We know that he's rich, that he's young, and he's a ruler. So what does Jesus say? Sell everything, get rid of your riches, which is probably going to lessen your influence just a little bit, and it's probably going to wipe out your power. So what's he left with? Young, and you know we all know what happens to that. <clears throat> it doesn't last either. So think about it. This guy, he's being asked to give up Everything that seems to define him, everything that we know about him in history, Jesus says, those things, you need to get rid of them to follow me. And as we might expect, he walks away disappointed because for him the cost is just too high. Now, you might be familiar with this part of the story, but the really astonishing thing is what follows, the way that Jesus responds. You know, maybe we would expect Jesus to stop him and say, wait, I don't think you understand. You know, this is what you're missing. You're not having faith. We'd expect Jesus to stop him and to give him a better explanation so that he could come into the fold. But no. It seems like Jesus thinks he's walking away for exactly the right reason. It seems like Jesus understands his frustration. And he looks at his disciples and what does he say? How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. The cost of following Jesus is very real. Now, the disciples, they already know about the cost. Because as we see in verse 28, they had already sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. Look at the things that Jesus lists that they gave up. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, fields, and farms. It realized that these aren't just things they've given up. In this culture, their houses and their lands were more than possessions. They were their inheritance. They were their connection to the past, to their family, to their history. They were also their livelihood. These were their careers. They defined them as people. They were identity. This is what's really at stake. Before Peter was Peter, he was Simon the fisherman. And just like John, another one of the disciples, he probably was a fisherman because his father was a fisherman. And most likely his children will be fishermen after him. And they would be not only children, but his legacy, his lineage carried on. These are the things that Christ is asking them to give up. These are the things they've already sacrificed. These are sacrifices that I think we can relate to. Some of you have sacrificed financially, sure, for the gospel. Some of you have turned down the high-power, high-paying job. 
Some of you gave up the nice house and the nice neighborhood with a nice car. Some of you have given up sending your kids to the best school and buying them the nicest things. All for the sake of the gospel. Some of you really don't have to live in a neighborhood where you have to chain down the stuff on your porch and uh, where you buy a dog, not for companionship, but for security. But you do anyway. And realize that when you do that, you're doing something much greater than giving up a bit of comfort. You're giving up part of your identity. You might not have realized it at the time that it happened, but you sacrificed some of yourself for the gospel. You chose to be a different person than you could have in order to follow Christ. Some of you have given up influence and power. You've not only sacrificed these material comforts, but even your whole idea of success, you've laid aside. Some of you have lost the respect of your peers. Some of you have even lost family, been rejected by those that should love you most. Some of you have lost relationships forever because of your choices to follow Christ. Listen, people right here in this room have changed careers, moved away from everything they know and everyone they have, have given up everything they thought they would be or the people expected from them, all for the sake of following Christ. Some of us have given up the very thing that defines us as a person for the gospel. Some of us have even given up, think about it, just your basic sinful ways of living. Think about how impactful it is in your life to say, normally, this is how I deal with things. But because of Christ, I'm going to change. I'm not going to go to the bar and get drunk because I'm upset. For Christ, and that's not just giving up a behavior. That's giving up a comfort. That's giving up a way of numbing yourself, a way of dealing with problems. And instead, you're choosing to face the pain for the sake of the gospel. This is a high cost. This is a cost so high it can leave us wondering if it's even worth it. It's almost like you ever buy something on eBay because it's a great deal, and then you get it, and it's not what you thought it would be. <laughs> Maybe you saw the TV, and you're like, wow, a plasma screen for, 20, for $200. That's really cheap. And then you got it, and you're like, oh, there's not a screen. <laughs> it's not what you expected. That's what it can be like following Christ. We make real sacrifices, and then the reward we get is not what we expect. And it leaves us wondering what we should think about this. This is what the disciples are asking. And they say to Jesus, we've given up everything for you. He's really saying, we gave up everything. Why did we do it? If it's impossible, why did we do it? Now, part of the problem is, a lot like us, the disciples have kind of a messed up view of God. You know, I think, first of all, they tend to, to view God kind of like a giant vending machine in the sky. You know, we put in our sacrifices in the slot, and the prize is supposed to pop out like a Snickers or some Funyuns. It's supposed to just pop out the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I know y'all like the Funyuns. So we just give a little bit here, and God's just going to give us back something, you know, miraculous and awesome. We have this whole idea that if we sacrifice for God, there's got to be something about a big house and a BMW in it later on. You know, we've, we've listened to the TV preachers a little too much. And our whole view of what God's going to give us is skewed. 
look what happens to the disciples. Look how their idea of God is devastated. When they see that the very things they expect to be the reward, influence, power, wealth, the things they saw as connected to the kingdom of God, those are the things that Jesus says have to be given up. Those are the things that he says are a hindrance to coming into his kingdom. They followed, they gave everything up to follow Jesus, and now they have to wonder, what's the point? Everything they thought they expected was completely wrong. Can anything good come from this? They have to wonder, and sometimes so do we. And the short answer that Jesus gives us is no. As long as we're holding on to our vending machine image of God, as long as we give just to get back, our sacrifices, they amount to nothing. But, and that's an important but, when we come to Jesus in faith, when we trust in his promises, then that changes everything. Because for God, anything is possible. It's Jesus who makes our sacrifices meaningful. It's he who can accomplish something real through the things that we do, through the pain we endure and the suffering we experience. It's Jesus who can make sense of our experiences and the world around us, and it's he who is able to reward us when we sacrifice in faith. So his promise isn't empty. It's not empty because he has the power to make good what we never could. Because the promise is dependent on the power of God, we can take it seriously when he promises a reward. And even in the midst of our pain and suffering, we can look to it in hope and begin to see his promise fulfilled. But again, where is it? Where are we looking? Why don't we see this reward if it's real? How do we miss it? Again, we're looking in the wrong places for the wrong things. We're not looking for what Jesus really promised. Again, we listen to the TV preachers too much, and now we expect things to be different. We expect that reward. Maybe we just expect that things will get a little easier, that we'll be able to pay our bills that things will stop going wrong so often. Maybe that sin won't be so hard anymore that we can just get past it. But Jesus tells us our reward comes in the midst of persecution. We're rewarded in this world right now that's still broken. And somehow, some way, we're rewarded in a way that makes sense of all that. So where? Where is it? What should we be looking for? Well, the important question really is where. Because when you begin to look in the right place, you start to see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise is taking place right now, this very moment. Once you know the right place to look, you can realize that God is rewarding you right now with infinitely more than you've sacrificed. It's happening right now, right here in the church. You see, it's in the church, it's in the community of God, the community he has made me and you part of. It's here that we receive the reward for all our sacrifices. Think about it. Think about the things we've lost for the gospel. Family, friends, homes, identity, a place to fit in, a heritage, 
where else do we find all of those things multiplied to us? You see, the payoff that you're waiting for, the reward for all the sacrifice that you hope for and that you cling to, you want to see it? Look around. It's right here. Family and friends that you've lost, right here, received back many times over. Financial security that you have lost, repaid in the care of the church. Identity, security, purpose that you have sacrificed for the gospel, restored and rewarded right here in the church. The hope of the small but painful sacrifices you make, they don't always seem worth it, are realized right here. Whether you choose to abandon the illusion of success and security or whether you simply chose not to get drunk the other night when you were really in a bad mood. The payoff is right here. Real success, real security is found here in the lives of others who are changed because of your sacrifices. Real comfort, real reconciliation is found here with the people who sit with you in the midst of your pain, with the people who listen to your problems. Real identity is found here as a child of God, as a part of God's kingdom of children who are made priests, His community of brothers and sisters. New community, real acceptance, a new family, a new place to be made who God made you to be. It's right here. As crazy as that might seem, this is the only place where we can make sense of the world and of our experience. This is the community that God is creating in the world. Here, people are being restored, being made new, being made into what God always intended you to be. Here you find a new home, a new place to belong, a new identity, a family to be part of, and a purpose to pursue. Right here, here you trust in a future that will never end a legacy that will last forever. And real provision is found right here. Whether you gave up the pursuit of wealth or maybe you just gave up the hopelessness of poverty, the answer is found right here. Where do I even begin to talk about the people who've had rent paid, who've had cars given to them, who've literally found money on their doorstep, (laughs) who've had power turned back on, bills paid, Groceries, medication, gas paid for. People go to counseling. They're emotionally restored. Relationships are healed. People overcome their pain. Their bitterness is let go of. Right here through the work of God's community. If you've ever been in a place where you've really wondered if it was worth it, stop and look around. and See what God has done in this community. See the lives that have been changed in the community that He has created, and you'll find your answer. And that's not all. As amazing and miraculous as this really is when we begin to see it, this is only the temporary reward. You see, this reward of community in all of its beauty is just a taste of what's to come. There's, in fact, an even greater reward that we are promised a reward that exceeds anything we can imagine. Ultimately, Jesus says, all of our sacrifices are repaid in the age to come with eternal life. Now listen, 
to get this, we've got to stop for a second and, and take all of our misconceptions about heaven. Think about what we normally picture, okay? When we think about heaven, maybe we think about ourselves floating around in a cloud with a little harp and some wings. And, you know, maybe singing some old hymns to add a tune piano. All these weird conceptions that we picked up with the halo. Come on, y'all, you know about the halo and the wings. I want you to take all of those things like a piece of paper and I want you to ball them up and throw them in the trash. Because that is not it. Again, if you want to see what heaven looks like, if you want to see what the reward of eternal life really means, then look around. Because this community, though far from perfect, is a taste of what's to come. Eternal life isn't some esoteric, angelic existence in the clouds. Eternal life is the ultimate restoration of God's people to a perfect, sinless, and complete community with God himself. Eternal life is to be in the very presence of God as a community, as a family, as Christ's own body, in worship of our glorified King, with every perfect imperfection washed away, all sin conquered, all pain, and death itself destroyed forever. Eternal life is what happens. The Bible says the dwelling of God is among men. And He comes into our presence. And He brings us together as a community in worship of Him forever and ever. This is our real hope. This is the real payoff. This is what's really in it for you. Our sacrifices for Christ are repaid beyond imagination in unhindered joy in the presence of God as a community, as a family. This is what we're being saved for. This is the ultimate mission of the church. Listen, this is God's ultimate mission on this planet. Do you get that? This is what God is doing in all of history. He's building a church for Himself to worship Him in His presence. This is God's work, and you are called to be a part of it. You are giving the blessing of being a part of God's plan of redemption for all of history, for all of the universe. This is God's number one mission. Listen, you're not called to some secondary minor thing that God's working in Noda in Charlotte. You are part of God creating a people for himself, restoring broken people to wholeness, to be who they were intended to be, to worship God in his presence forever and ever and ever. If you have suffered rejection for the gospel, this is ultimate acceptance. If you've lost relationships, this is ultimate family. Everyone who has sacrificed comfort or wealth or success or respect for everyone that is given a part of their identity, who has lost something that used to define them, this is ultimate restoration. This is recreation. This is the new family, your new identity, ultimate community. Listen, some of you have risked your own health and safety, security for the sake of God, for the sake of the gospel. This is life indestructible. This is no more pain, no more tears, no more death for all of those who follow Christ now in the midst of a broken world. And this is the work that's accomplished by Christ. Understand that this is why Christ came to earth. 
This is why He became a man and suffered and died for us, to make a way for us to be a part of His community where there was no way. In our power, this restoration is impossible. It's only in the power of God and the power of Christ that this can be accomplished. Remember what Jesus said, for man, this is impossible. Because of our sin, we're left like the rich young ruler, clinging to something for life, clinging to identity to save ourselves. And sometimes we cling to it so hard that we become bound to it, and we just can't let it go. But Jesus came in our place, and He gave everything up. He let everything go. He laid aside His own identity as God in order to be like us. Though He was God, He suffered as a man and died to make a way for us. And trusting in Him now means letting go of all the things we cling to because we know that even though we could never make it worth it, Jesus did and He has and He is right now. This is restoration in Him. And we can experience this. We can become all the things that He has for us. We can become a new people and a new community because of Jesus if we trust in Him. The only way we can make sense of the world we live in, the only way we can live in the midst of pain and suffering and believe there's a purpose is by trusting in Christ in His work and in His Word that He's making all things new, in His promise to make us a restored community. If you can turn to Christ in faith and trust in His work, then this community, this community, these people right here, can become the answer to the question, is it worth it? The people in this room are your reward in the church of God. Now listen, there's, this is really a, a simple reality. It's not, hard, not easy, but it's simple. If you want to experience the reward that Christ has for you, then just be known. Be in community. Allow people to know you, to know your pain. And you might just discover that the guy a few incredibly uncomfortable seats over from you that you've never talked to has gone through the same pains that you have. He's experienced the same suffering and sacrifices as you. And He could be the answer. He can be the reward you've been wondering where it is. Right here in this room. The really miraculous thing is that once you begin to see God's reward in this community, you actually become a reward to somebody else. In all of your brokenness, you are used by God to repay the sacrifices of others. Now, I know that's hard to grasp. It's hard for me to believe. But that's the miraculous restoration of Christ. That He actually makes you worthy to be a reward to someone who has given up everything for the Gospel. That people actually can look to you and have hope. And and realize it's not this room that does it. It's us. It's Christ's work in us that we become God's restorative community in Noda, in Charlotte, in the world, that we bring community and we bring God's grace 
when we bring the promise of His redemption to everyone around us. Now listen, like the disciples, you might be called to leave everything for this to happen. And the cost might be very high. But trusting in Christ, you can see this reward even now, right here in the church. And trusting in Christ, you can have hope in the ultimate restoration that is to come, where there's no more pain, no more sin, no more death. This is your hope if you can trust in Christ. Let us pray. God, it is your work of redemption, your restoration, that makes it all worth it. We praise you in the name of Jesus that you are making all things new. In his name we pray. Amen.